0: The off world color. The chance to begin again in a golden land of opportunity and adventure. They don't advertise for killers in a newspaper. That was my profession. Ex cop. Ex blade runner. Ex killer.
1: If ever there were proof that a single viewing is not enough to fully grasp a film's plot, understand its characters and grasp its themes, subtexts, and poetic code, it is Blade Runner. Here are two of America's most revered critics, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert from PBS Television, struggling to do so in the week of its release on June twenty-fifth, 1982.
0: About halfway through Blade Runner, I realized I stopped caring about the people in the movie. I was interested mostly in the special effects. It's a great movie to look at, but a hard one to care about. I didn't appreciate the predictable story, the standard characters, the cliffhanging clichés, But I do think the special effects make Blade Runner worth going to see. I agree with part of your review, predictable, cliches, dazzling for the first 20 minutes, and then what? I mean, the story goes no place as far as I'm concerned. I invested a lot of energy in this movie watching it because it was so striking-looking. But I'm sitting there halfway through the picture saying, where is this going, and when it's over, I think I've wasted my time.
1: Critics in print were no less caustic with Pauline Cale in The New Yorker finishing up her near 2,700 word dismissal by saying it hasn't been thought out in human terms. If anybody comes around with a test to detect humanoids, maybe Ridley Scott and his associates should hide. Still, there were some favourable, if qualified, opinions, with Jack Crowley Newsweek admitting that, for all its gloom and somnolence, it is a compelling addition to this genre. Richard Corliss, writing in Time magazine, suggested that while the film was likely to disappoint moviegoers hoping for sleek thrills and daring do. As a display terminal for The Wizardry of Designers Lawrence G. Paul, Douglas Trumbull and Sid Mead, the movie delivers. However, it is curious how many critics focused on just two elements, the plot and visual richness. But beyond mentioning the latter, none considered it a key to unlocking Blade Runner's themes. In fact, they were not even alert to the possibility that the central character Deckard played by Harrison Ford, might not be whom he thinks he is, with Stanley Kaufman in The New Republic utterly missing that point, declaring it another reworking of the threat to humans by humanoids, one more variation on the invasion of the body snatchers theme. And finally, Janet Maslin in The New York Times described it as a mess, at least as far as its narrative is concerned. Almost nothing is explained coherently, and the plot has great lapses. The end of the film is both gruesome and sentimental. Mr. Scott cannot have it both ways, any more than he can expect over decoration to carry a film that has neither strong characters nor a strong story.
0: I'd quit because I'd had a belly full of killing. But then I'd rather be a killer than a victim. And that's exactly what Bryant's threat about little people meant. So I hooked in once more, thinking that if I couldn't take it, I'd split later. I didn't have to worry about Gaff. He was brown-nosing for a promotion, so he didn't want me back anyway.
1: Some three and a half decades later, Blade Runner is held up as a masterpiece, one of cinema's great achievements, a work of rare vision, and for a Hollywood genre picture, even rarer depth. Which is not to say that the critics were all wrong. Yes, the characters are not all that strongly drawn, and yes, there are great lapses in the story. But for Blade Runner, it is within cinema's other disciplines, cinematography, costume and set design, that its themes of humanity, urbanity, identity, authenticity, biology, technology, theology, mortality and above all morality are there for all to see.
0: Do you like our owl? It's artificial. Of course it is. Must be expensive. Very. I'm Rachel. Deckard. It seems you feel our work is not a benefit to the public. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. They're a benefit, it's not my problem. May I ask you a personal question? Sure. Have you ever retired a human by mistake?
1: Blade Runner began life as a novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Written in 1968 by award-winning sci-fi author, Philip K. Dick. Dick was born along with his twin sister Jane on December the 16th, 1928. But just six weeks later, Jane died and her death haunted Philip the rest of his life. So much so that it fed into his writing, where his plots are often populated by phantom twins, alter egos, doppelgangers and kindred spirits. In fact, the K in Philip K. Dick stands for kindred. Dick was so affected by the loss that he suffered from severe bouts of paranoia and schizophrenia and yet he was an incredibly prolific writer, penning more than 120 short stories and over 40 novels in less than 30 years. After his death in 1982, yet more books found their way into print. But, while Dick often created astonishing premises in fantastical alternate worlds, where he repeatedly asked the question, what constitutes an authentic human being? Other times he was an undisciplined writer. He wrote at such speed his prose resembled unedited first drafts. And when his prose was under control, so fast did he pace his plots, that you need a multidimensional map to figure out in which reality, alternative reality, paranoid conspiracy, he has repositioned his characters. That Dick consumed enormous amounts of drugs undoubtedly fueled his output. But it also clouded his writing. LSD, PCP, Mescaline. He took so much and over such a long period of time that by the summer of 1967, when he began writing Electric Sheep, he had developed classic amphetamine psychosis. While going through World War II diaries in the closed stacks of the library at California's Berkeley University, Dick came across the memoir of a Nazi officer who had worked at one of the death camps. Dick was already familiar with Nazi writings, having researched them for his 1962 Hugo Award-winning alternate history novel, the man in the high castle but one entry in this particular diary chilled dick to the core the screams of children complained the nazi they keep me awake at night dick was so shocked he concluded there was only one way to explain this lack of empathy the diarist was beyond inhuman the nazi commandant was an android and from that single diary entry dick conjured up a novel in which artificial humans are created for slave labor What's this?
0: Nexus 6. Roy Batty. Incept date, 2016. Combat model. Optimum self-sufficiency. Probably the leader. This is Zora. She's trained for an off-world kick murder squad. Talk about beauty and the beast. She's both. The four-skin job is Pris, a basic pleasure model, the standard item for military clubs in the outer colonies.
1: Published in 1968, the novel was all but ignored until 1975, when little-known TV actor Hampton Fancher approached Dick for the film rights. Dick said no, but two years later said yes, when another former TV actor, Brian Kelly, whose biggest role had been in the 1960s show Flipper, offered Dick $2,500 for the film rights. That figure may sound small, but it was actually double what Dick's publisher had offered him for the manuscript. So Dick accepted Kelly's offer, and Kelly turned around and hired his friend, Hampton Fancher, to adapt the book. Despite this inauspicious start, Fancher's script somehow landed on the desk of an adventurous English producer, Michael Dealey. Dealey had just won an Oscar for the Vietnam War picture, The Deer Hunter. And before that, he had produced the original and challenging sci-fi drama, The Man Who Fell to Earth. But Hollywood does not always look for original or challenging. Star Wars and Star Trek were huge space adventures that simply refashioned familiar plots and themes. But the script that Fancher had presented, at that point called Dangerous Days, did not offer adventure. It was slow, cerebral and set Not out amongst the stars, but in downtown Los Angeles. Shakes? Me too.
0: I get them bad. In the business. I am the business.
1: But Michael Dealey knew that while the rest of Hollywood had said no to Star Wars, one person had said yes. That was Alan Ladd Jr., an executive at 20th Century Fox, and just weeks after Star Wars opened, He greenlit another sci-fi picture. Not an adventure, but a horror.
0: I can't lie to you about your chances, but
1: you have my sympathies. Dealey passed the script on to Ridley Scott, but fresh from the success of Alien, Scott had already been engaged by Italian producer Dino De Laurentiis to bring Frank Herbert's sprawling novel Dune to the screen. With the scale of Herbert's novel, Scott had decided to split it into two films. But he soon realised that delivering on such an ambitious scale, it would likely be two years before the cameras rolled. And then...
0: Something personal happened in my life. My elder brother died. And I, uh, to coin the phrase, freaked out. Fet, felt I had to go to work immediately. And so I called Michael and said, you know that film that uh, of Hamptons, I'd like to do it. And so uh, I went to Hollywood, and what I thought would be a fast, um, you know, fix emotionally, I'd get involved in something, uh, wasn't, and that developed into seven months of discussion every day with Hampton coming to my house in LA, going through the pages blow
1: by blow. Sensing Fancher was burning out, Scott brought in David Webb Peoples. Peoples was known around Hollywood as a very fast and flexible writer having secured his reputation in 1980 for co-writing the Oscar-nominated documentary The Day After Trinity, which chronicled the Manhattan Project and the dropping of the atomic bomb. As convoluted as pre-production on Blade Runner was, principal photography was even more troubled. Scott's obsessive attention to detail resulted in schedule delays, cost overruns, as well as a mutinous crew, and a very unhappy lead actor. What Scott was doing was visually layering in the film's themes. The streets teem with urban dwellers, but the high-rises, peopled only by the mega-wealthy, are all but empty, and above them is a sky so thick with pollution that the sun never penetrates. Some of the characters have strange eyes that indicate they are replicants, and each replicant has a corresponding animal. Leon's turtle, Rachel's owl, Zora's Snake, Priss's Raccoon, Roy's Dove, and Deckard's Unicorn. Look closely at the unique panelling in Deckard's apartment, and you will find it is taken from ancient Mayan temples, which serve as the shape for the Tyrell building, which is where the god of biomechanics resides. All those details, and hundreds more, resulted in a highly personal film. Just as the ghost of Dick's twin sister Jane affected almost all of his writings, so too did the memory of Scott's brother Frank transform the story into a meditation on mortality. Where in the book, Deckard sought to buy a pet sheep for his wife, Iran, it now centred on two men. One who was dying and seeking meaning in his life, and the other, who because of the encounter, gains a deeper understanding of who he is. And as the movie ends, completely unlike the novel, One man sits and watches helplessly as a surrogate twin surrenders peacefully to his death.
0: I don't know why he saved my life. Maybe in those last moments he loved life more than he ever had before. Not just his life. Anybody's life. My life. All he'd wanted were the same answers the rest of us want. Where do I come from? Where am I going? How long have I got? All I could do was sit there and watch him die.
1: As time passes and we grow older and revisit once-neglected titles, we see things differently and we see different things. But the movie itself hasn't changed. Only in the case of Blade Runner, it did change. Upon its release in 1992, Scott removed the voiceover, as well as Deckard and Rachel's escape, into a bucolic landscape.
0: Gaff had been there and let her live. Four years, he figured he was wrong. Tyrell had told me Rachel was special. No termination date. I didn't know how long we'd have together. Who does?
1: Then in 2007, Scott's definitive final cut digitally corrected the visual glitches and dialogue errors, added new shots and remastered everything else. And what resulted was a film that unwittingly had come to resemble its own lead character. An upgraded generation, a Nexus 7. Virtually identical to, but an exponentially improved version of, the original. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. And as each version has been restored and reviewed, the dense textures and themes that Scott embedded into the story have come to the fore. For the last two decades, the predominant interpretation has been environmental. But as global industries become increasingly automated, biomechanics becomes more prevalent, species become extinct, memories implanted, alternative facts accepted as the truth, and we attempt to create off-world colonies, who knows what other comparatively latent prophecies Scott's masterpiece may yet reveal. But if such a future still seems too far off, perhaps the sequel will help us see what it will look like.
0: I did your job once. I was good at it. Things were simpler then.